Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. And we are delighted to have Brother East with us today. We get to have Brother East this week, and then Brother Zopoli is going to come next Sunday and the following Wednesday. We're trying to give you the best preaching that we can find because you're a great congregation and you deserve the best. And so today we have one of the best preachers in all of our movement, Brother Mike East. Brother East, come and take your liberty. Must not be a very big movement. I sometimes, I, I never wanted to be like everybody else. I, I had people that I felt like were mentors to me and that I wanted to pick up some of their traits. But from the very beginning, when I first started almost 49 years ago, I always wanted to be myself. I wanted to hear from God for me, and I, I didn't want to be a copycat, and I, I, I tried to stay with that program, and I've always believed that <clears throat> the church is one body. I mean, the real church. You know, there's, there's real blinds you can put on the windows, and then there's faux blinds. F-A-U-X, Fox, if you like it better. And they're not real wood. They look like wood. They act like wood, but they're not wood. And eventually, it shows up. And those blinds that are made of some sort of a spongy material, whatever it may be, they start to come apart and they start to bend and get out of shape. What those real wood ones wouldn't do. That's a faux blind. And I, I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings, but there is a faux church in America. It, it is not the real church. The real church of Jesus Christ has Jesus Christ at the center of their life. He's everything. And so I have, I've always... Ask God, Lord, help me. I don't want to just go somewhere for the sake of going. I, want to, I don't want to run just to run. I'd like to think I've got something to say. And I'd like to hear from the heart of God. And I think that sometimes, I think that God directs people to speak to specific churches or specific meetings or specific organizations. But sometimes I think God delivers a message that is specific to the whole body. And right now, the entire body of Christ in the United States of America really needs a shot in the arm. Without, without belaboring the point, we had an election 
and all of the fanfare and all of that stuff that's been going on, that's good. The election's over. But something happened during this election that I have not seen since the Reagan years or before. Something has happened over the course of the last nine or ten weeks in America that's been absent. There is right now the greatest freedom of religious liberty that has been in America. For over 30 years, and it's not because of any particular person. It's not because of, a, of, of any idol worship that we might set up. I was watching the election on November the 3rd, and uh, I should say I was listening to it. I was sitting at the kitchen table and I was reading my Bible with not much hope that that election was going to turn out very good. So I'm being honest. Now, you can be whatever you'd like to be. I think most everybody thought it wasn't going to turn out too good. And Jacob was there. And Jacob is sometimes like having a parrot in the house. And he was interested in that election because it's the first one he's ever got to really be a part of. And I know for a fact that he had prayed and asked God to help him and to show him things. And everything that was happening on the election, he was relaying it to me. And I'm not going to talk about politics this morning. I want to read something from the Bible in the book of Genesis, chapter number 28. And verse number 17. Chapter 28 and verse number 17. And he was afraid. Now this is Jacob, not this Jacob, the Bible Jacob. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. This was Jacob's statement at the conclusion of a dream that had rocked his world. And he woke up in this place, he called it Bethel. And the old name was Luz and he changed it to Bethel and he built he took rocks and built an altar and a memorial there. And after the dream, he said, this is none other but the house of God. And in the book of Luke, chapter 19, and verse number 45, chapter 19, verse 45, and he that being Jesus Christ, went into the temple and began to cast them out that sold therein. And them that bought, saying unto them, it is written, my house is the house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Thank you and you may be seated if you'd like. 
two different mentions here, Old and New Testament of the house of God. Both of them resulted from prayer. Prayer really does change things. But from the old and the new, I would have to say that the house, the house is what you make it. Nothing more, nothing less. So as that election was going on, I was sitting in there and I was a bit dismal. Normally I'm in pretty good spirits, but every now and then I, I, you know, I slip up. I was a bit dismal that night and I thought, you know, we're, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. America's already in trouble. It's going to get worse because nothing looked good. There was no, there was no speculation of anything good coming out of this election and This is not about a party because both the parties are corrupt. And it's not about individuals because most of the individuals are corrupt. But, you know, God has taken corrupt things over the centuries and used them for good. In fact, when Joseph's brothers showed up in Egypt and they didn't know who he was, and when they found out who he was, they were terrified because of what they had did to him. And they thought, he's going to kill us, man. We're all done. I mean... They took this boy and threw him in a pit and then sold him into slavery. And for years, he's he's in prison. He's being persecuted. And all of that is a result of what his brothers did to him. And when he reveals himself to his brothers, I'm Joseph, I'm your brother. The Bible said they were terrified. Literally, they were terrified. And he spoke these words to him. He said, don't worry. He said, what you did has no bearing on why I'm here. God brought me here for this time. And he makes this statement to them. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. So God took the evil that you committed, turned it around on the devil, and made it good. And has brought me here now that I might sustain you and all of your families and the name of God and all of his people. So, God sometimes uses people that are not the ones that you or I might choose. And I think examples in the Bible would be King Cyrus, a pagan king. King Artaxerxes, another pagan king. But yet these kings who did not believe in God, in fact, they believed in idol worship. Some of them even believed in the sacrificing of babies in the fire. Yet God moved upon them and used their money and their strength and their power, their prowess and their wisdom to give to the people of God that they might rebuild the temple. Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most wicked men in the history of mankind, yet God used him to forward his people's lives. Daniel was elevated to second in command of all of the Babylonian world. Because Nebuchadnezzar elevated him to that spot. It was during those times that the three children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were cast into the fiery furnace. And yet God sustained them. And Nehemiah, or not Nehemiah, but uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually became a believer in God to some degree. So God has always used a lot of people. Government, the scripture speaks that we have government in place to uphold the laws. And that we are to obey the laws of the land. That God has put people in place in government. That's God's will. 
And they may not be the believers that we think they are, but they have a purpose. And so in this election, nobody knew who was going to win this election. I mean, look at the choices we had. I'd never seen that many people on the ballot. Personally, I mean, in my lifetime, we, we, uh, I, 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 most folks didn't even know where to start. And on the Democratic side, it was the, you knew who was there, but you were scared to death. And when, really, when you started looking at all of them, all 18 of them, if you put them all 18 together, you couldn't make one good guy or good gal. They just, it was really just a poor time for us. And so we were trying to pick and choose what was best for us. And people were praying and preachers were preaching all over the country talking about what's going to happen to us. Well, what happened was not what anybody expected from either side of the spectrum. And I'm I'm sorry, folks, this does pertain. Nobody in America really now, we had a lot of guys, you know, running around with hats on and all of that stuff. And, and we're saying, you know, we're going to make America. But nobody in their heart really believed that was going to happen. It just wasn't possible. But something did happen. Now, could God use somebody like Donald Trump? That wouldn't be your selection. Well, you'd pick Rick Kiley. You, you would pick John Putnam. You would pick David K. Bernard. All of us would. But see, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. His ways are above our ways. And his thoughts are above our thoughts. And whether we want to own up to it or not, what the devil intended for evil, God has turned around into something good. Now, The reason that this happened is not because of anybody that was running for office. It wasn't the Supreme Court that did it. It wasn't a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian or any other movement. God heard the cry of his people. Just like he did in Egypt. People like you and I that we're not asking God to turn the world upside down that we can save everybody. If you think we're going to save everybody, you need therapy. We're not going to save everybody. We're probably not going to save half. I don't even know if we'll save a quarter. I can only tell you that the Bible says there will be a remnant. And a remnant is a small piece of the whole. Very few will probably be saved out of the billions. And so God, when this election ended, I was sitting at the table. Y'all thought I lost my train of thought, didn't you? And Jacob lets out a yelp like a bee stung him or something. And my wife's trying to sleep. It's, it's, It's late at night. And I had just walked into the bedroom and my little 11-year-old granddaughter was spending the night with us. She spends a lot of nights with us. They live right around the corner from us. And she's all cuddled up to my wife. And I had been so concerned over the way our world was going, Brother Dredskin, what the possibilities were with Supreme Court. See, these things are important. You say, well, I don't get involved in all all of that. You better get involved in it. 
You better be concerned. If you're not, if you're not concerned about it, I'll just put my trust in God. Quit going to work. Don't take your medication. Why eat? Why go to the bathroom? Why do anything? Let God do it all. I'll just lay here on the couch and wait. And so Jacob lets out this yelp. And I had just come out of the bedroom where I had, for whatever reason, I walked into my bedroom and I looked at that little precious girl and she is, that's my buddy right there. I got 29 of them little jokers. And I, I, she's my buddy. When I, when I had this hip replaced and I was down for six weeks, she stayed with me and she said she was gonna be my nurse. And so I looked at her laying there and I had tears in my eyes and I knew this election was not going well. And I said, God, touch her. Touch all the others. I don't know what to do, Lord. I, I, I preach as hard as I can preach. I travel as much as I, I travel more than young men do. God, I don't know what to do. I fast, I pray. And our world's in so bad, but could you have mercy on us? And I thank God heard that cry and I think a lot of other people were praying the same thing God give us another opportunity give us another shot let, let us have another chance at getting it right and, and all the things let us learn from our past mistakes and, and let reality set in and, and help us to realize God that there is something we can do we, we, can, we can exemplify something different give us another chance and he let that yelp out I said Jacob, what? You know, he, he gets under my skin sometime. <laughs> you folks wouldn't know anything about that around here, I'm sure. And I said, Jacob, what? He said, Papa, he won Wisconsin. Boy, I got up from the table. I thought, a Republican? One with, sorry, brother, one Wisconsin? That wasn't expected. And I sat back down and I said, all right, Jacob. I said, you know, we'll see. So directly, he yelps again. Papa, he won Pennsylvania. Now I got up. And I said, something's happening here. And then you know the rest of the story. It took all night long. I walked back at three o'clock in the morning. I sat down at the table. And I prayed. And my eyes were filled with tears. And I got up from the table and I walked into the bedroom. And I looked at my little granddaughter laying there. And I said these words. I said, you can sleep now, sweetheart. Everything's going to be all right. Not because Donald Trump, please don't leave here thinking that. I didn't even like him. I said, you can sleep now. Everything's going to be okay. Because I felt like God had heard our cry that something was going to happen. It's not about politics. It's about what God was changing. And I, I said that and I went back to the table and I felt total peace. I felt like God had really decided to give us another chance. And so I was, I was happy. I was excited. Again, not for the political structure. But then I started learning Maybe what God was doing was something we knew nothing about. We didn't know it. I didn't know that Donald Trump had consulted with over 1,000 pastors. I didn't know that, that 
Some of the people that he had selected to work with him were born again, real born again believers. I didn't know that Paul Mooney was connected to the chief of staff of Mike Pence that he attended Paul Mooney's church. I didn't know that Rance Priebus, his chief of staff for President Trump, had been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So there were things I didn't know. And, and Jim Schumacher called me and he said, man, I taught that boy 12 weeks of Bible study. I baptized him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He attended my church and it dawned on me, God, you are, you are putting some of the right people in the right places. And then all at once, God, and this is exciting for me, God began to be talked about in the political circles. And the name of Jesus Christ began to be used in these religious circles, in prayer, and in political discussions. The name of Jesus Christ was alluded to. There is a name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess. I started noticing the little things that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ had been resurrected and people felt freedom to use it in circles where it would never be mentioned. God had heard our prayer. And a president that I didn't even like, that I did not support in the primaries, all at once, he's talking about God is watching us. God is going to be with us. God is going to protect us. We've not heard that in the White House in a lot of years. And it dawned on me, God, what was intended for evil has been turned over to good. And so I sat down at the table and the voice of the Lord truly did speak to my heart. And God said, when he spoke to my heart, you ready, brother? He said, turn to Ezra 9 in your Bible. That morning, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I actually posted that on Facebook. Ezra chapter number 9. God speaks to Ezra. And he says, are they up there? Ezra chapter number nine. Start at verse number, about verse number six or seven, right around there. He makes a statement about, I have given you First he says, God, I'm ashamed and I blush to even lift my face to you. For our iniquities have increased over our heads and our trespasses has grown all the way to the heavens. Does that not kind of sound like us? That we're a little embarrassed? That's what he's saying. We were embarrassed, God, to, to even look up at you. We're embarrassed to even ask you for anything. Next verse. 
He said, since the days of our fathers, and I'll paraphrase it, he said, our trespass unto this day, our iniquities. You know, we've done all of this stuff and, and the hands of kings to the sword, to the captivity. And so the confusion that we've caused and, and all of this other stuff to this day. Next verse. And now, this was the verse that God spoke to me that morning. But now, a space, a little space for grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. God does not get involved in politics like we do. But God does get involved in the hearts and the minds and the souls and the lives of the people that love him and trust him and lift him up where he belongs. He gets involved in what happens to them. And I realized at that moment, God, you've given us an opportunity. So while they're celebrating their political winnings, for the wrong reasons. I was celebrating that God had given us a little space for grace and a little reviving. For what reason? And everyone was saying, you know, we got eight years, we got eight years. You don't know that. One thing we do know, we've got four years of religious freedom that we haven't had and we don't know how many years. And if we don't rise up as fast as we can, get on our feet and begin to tell God we're gonna do everything we can do over the next few years to make the church of Jesus Christ the greatest thing it's ever been. We're gonna put the church where it belongs. We're gonna set it on display. We're gonna act like we're the church of God. We're gonna live like we're the church of God. We're gonna show the world that the real church of God is a powerful, powerful entity that has the answer to every problem we will ever face. We failed in the past or we wouldn't have been in the condition we're in. The only time Israel ever got in trouble was when she did things her way. In the book of Judges, we shouldn't have never had a book of Judges. You know why we had a book of Judges? Because the Bible said every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Everybody did their own thing. The only time the United States has ever gotten in trouble was when she wandered away from God. You did something a while ago. And I say a lot of the same things in different, at, the, at different churches. You know, I, I may stay on theme because I feel like the message is not limited to abundant life, nor is it limited to apostolic faith church or a living word church, but it is for the entire body of Christ. We are not body parts. We are one body. You leave here, come to Austin, you're still in the body of Christ. You go to California, you're still in the body of Christ. We don't have a different body in every section for different people to do what's right in their own eyes. We are all one body. We are one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one God, one Father. There is not a multiplicity of gods. 
There's one church. One church. And I have to identify that church. And once I've identified it, I have to do whatever I can to get into it and be part of it. And then live my life accordingly. That I might stay in the body of Jesus Christ. Now is the time for the church. This is our time. I listened a while ago when you prayed for the offering. So many churches have quit doing that. They, they don't pray over offerings. You know, because it's not politically correct. And we don't want to offend our guests. Can I tell you that if you're offended at true apostolic Pentecostal worship, true apostolic Pentecostal preaching, and the magnifying of the name of Jesus Christ, then be offended. And if I'm offensive because I preach that and believe that, call somebody else. You don't have to have me. I'll go home. I have a wife and four dogs that love me and 29 grandchildren that think I'm the greatest thing that ever lived. Paul said, do I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? People get upset because they've become accustomed to doing things their own way. All these marches we're seeing around the country. Women's rights. If I declared a march for men's rights, they would stone me. See how ridiculous we are? You see how naive we have become as a nation? And if we're not careful, that same naivety will sneak into the church and we will become a naive church. We will become more, more, more concerned with how we look on the camera or how we sound on the microphone. It's going to be taped. It's going to be broadcast. I don't want to say something where everybody out there can hear it. Why? They all need it. They all need to hear it. Why would we want to be anything other than what we are? The house is what you make it. It's what you make it. Whatever this house is going to be, it's going to be what you make it. Stop blaming other people. Scripture said, save everybody. No. It said, save yourself from this untoward generation. Can I tell you that since I've met self, it's a full-time job? I am to save myself. And if I would focus more on saving myself, I would be a better witness to all of those around me to inspire them to do the same thing. If I am unsaved, I will not stand at the judgment bar of God and say, God, if it hadn't been for Rick Kiley, if it hadn't been for Jeff Dretzka, I'd have been saved. God, I'd have made it. And God's going to look at me and say, quit making excuses. They should, uh, they should never have hindered you. Nobody can pluck you out of my hand. Nobody can cause you to be lost. Nobody can make you die. You have to make all those decisions yourself. I'm so sick of hearing that statement. I'm going to go find me another church. I don't want to go there no more. They're just not feeding me over there. Well, you poor little thing. Babies get fed. 
adults know how to cook and prepare a meal. I can tell you, I've been in churches where I didn't want to be. And maybe the, what was coming across the pulpit didn't seem to be wholesome. Maybe the pastor was a little, maybe he was having some troubles. And, and we don't ever think about that, that maybe the preacher's having some trouble. That's why things are going like they are. Yeah, well, he's doing it. Let's stone him and get another one. Yeah, that's real scriptural. Why don't you try to help the one you got? Why don't you try to fix the problem you've got? Why run off and take your, your bad feelings to somebody else? Why not work together to fix the problem where it is? So I just learned how to pack a lunch. I study at home. Study to show yourself approved workman unto God, rightly dividing the word of truth that need not be ashamed. I learned that David had something going when he said, thy word, O Lord, have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Well, God, I'll just prepare something at home. I'll have me a little something to eat at home. I'll break out the word of God, the bread of life at home. I'll get me a good meal there when I go to church. He could preach like Donald Duck and I'd still feel the presence of God. If you're waiting to get your nourishment here, you waited too long. You got building sickness. I call that BS. The building is your church. Well, I can tell you one thing. The building ain't my church. My church is in the front seat of my car. My church is in my bedroom. My church is in my living room. My church is on the job. My church is at the toilet when I'm kneeling there praying. The church is not a place. The church is a thing. It's alive because the body of Christ is a living organism. Buildings are not alive. They're inanimate objects that possess no power and no strength. They cannot encourage you. They can make you comfortable where you sit. They can turn the heat and the cool on. But when it comes time to get the presence of God, the only way she can get it is down here at this invisible area that we call the altar because it belongs to God. That's where I go to make sacrifice. That's where I go to meet with him. Next time you feel like walking out, walk up. Son, that was good. Somebody post that. Next time you feel like walking out on the preacher, walk up to the altar. Get hold of God. Grab hold of the horns of the altar. Come on. I'm serious. I preach all over the country. If you don't like the preacher, pray for him. Pray for him. If he's doing something wrong, support him. Start shouting when he's preaching, even though it's terrible. He'll get so excited to preach himself to death, then you can get a new preacher. <laughs> Folks, we have to take the opportunity that's been handed us. We've got an opportunity to do something now. Are we going to do the same thing we've been doing? You know, Einstein's definition of insanity, paraphrased, if you keep on doing what you've always done, you'll keep on getting what you've always got. So if you want to continue as you have been, then you'll continue to get the same result. But if you'll step out of this place today and say, you know, he's got a point there. I'm going to make a difference here. I'm going to turn my house instead of a recreation center where everybody can gather to play games and do puzzles and watch Packer games. I'm going to turn my house into a house of prayer. Because the house is what you make it.
I'm going to turn this church into a place of worship. And I don't mean just canned worship. Pop the button, push the button, boom, there it is, it comes out. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Amen, glory to God. You know, and a little two-step or something across here. And everybody goes home saying, boy, I really had a move. We had a move of God today. I heard someone say that a while back in the church because seven or eight people was dancing down in the front of the church. And the same seven or eight people dance all the time. What we don't know is them seven people's making fools of us. They got something to dance about and we don't get it. We're thinking that's part of a good service. Why dance? It's like the old Baptist preacher said. He said, man, I don't pay no attention to how how high folks can jump. I pay attention to how straight they walk when their feet hit the floor. Know why you're shouting. Know why you're crying. What we need is to draw closer to God than we have ever been. We don't need any more programs. We don't need any bigger buildings. We don't need more money. Yes, oh, if we had this money. No, if we had more money, we'd spend more money. We don't have a lack of money in America. We got a lack of discipline. We don't have too little money in Washington. We have a spending problem. Discipline and discipline. If you read the nine manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is discipline. Temperance. One is patience. Patience, the only word in the Bible that says you can possess your soul with it. So you hear a guy, he said, well, I ain't got no patience. You ain't got no soul either. You got one, but you ain't in control of it because you can only possess your soul in patience. Folks, it's not that we're a bunch of idiots out here acting quack, quack. We've just got things out of kilter. And God has taken the time to give us an opportunity, a little space for grace to get our heads together. Quit fighting against each other. Quit pulling in opposite directions. We're not mules. Give a little. Take a little. I don't want you to compromise. I want you to be agreeable at times. Everybody doesn't think like you do. So can't we find a common ground so that we can make something happen in the house of God? Or am I going to allow my own will to dictate and all these people that need God, the people across the street that should be over here, I can't get to them because I'm too busy fixing problems in here. I ought to start a church and call it Fix It Church. And then tell people this is where you come to get fixed. But you can't get fixed till you admit you're broken. I'm about to shut this thing down now. You can't get fixed till you admit you're broken. Isn't that what they teach in AA? You can't get help for alcoholism till you first say, I am an alcoholic. So we have to admit our failures, our shortcomings. I would like to thank, thank Abundant Life. I want to take this opportunity this morning to thank you. I would like to thank you for changing my life. Because last June, when I was here on Father's Day, I had no intentions of being here on Father's Day. And 
I kept telling my wife, I said, why did he call me to come on Father's Day? Most preachers, pastors, like to reserve their pulpit for Father's Day for them. That's natural. That's normal. I, I, I'm okay with that. But for some reason, he called me. And he said, would you come and preach on Father's Day? And I was really taken back. I, I thought, why would he ask me to come preach on Father's Day? And so Paula, she said, so what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going to go. And I wanted to get something that kind of went along with the time, Father's Day. And if you don't remember that, that service, well, I, well, I don't know what to say. But the presence of the Lord was here on Father's Day. In fact, it was, it was so powerful that it, it messed me up. I mean, I was here preaching to you folks, and by the time I got back home, I was a basket case because it made me see who I really am. When I talked about fathers, and and I'm not going to preach that again, but I talked about Job. I used Job because he's the best father representative in the Bible. How that he sacrificed for his children every day. All them animals. Somewhere between 3,650 animals a year to 36,050 animals over 10 years. Every day for his children. And he's the only man that the Bible ever said God couldn't find any fault in him. He even told the devil when they gathered before the throne or, or wherever it is they gather up there, the sons of God, the sons of men, they gather there and the devil gathered with them and, and God looks at him and, and the devil's smirking and, and having these smart aleck remarks. You know, they were having those meetings because they had two in the book of Job. Evidently those meetings in eternity still take place. And I preached to you that morning, are you on God's list that God could look at the devil and say, hey, have you considered my servant Richard? Is he in a condition spiritually that I could let the devil loose on him and not have to worry? That's exactly what God did with Job. And I started thinking, and I will tell you that over the course of the last seven months, it has changed my entire life I appreciate you calling me it was not what I intended when I came here and I'm going to close with that and it's going to take me just a few minutes because something happened to me that day last June that I feel like was an answer from God for the whole body of Christ you prayed a little bit ago over the offering I, I, I didn't forget that and I see us taking that, quit doing that, you know, and let's everybody stand and they all, you know, I don't mean for y'all to get up. They'll say, let's everybody stand and then they'll say, ushers, go ahead and receive our offering. And the ushers just go. And, you know, I remember when I first, back in the 60s, when I first started preaching, it was amazing. We prayed over everything. You know, you'd sit down, you'd sit down to pray over a meal. And man, some of them, them old timers, Whew. Boy, they put it out, son. They put it out. The food may get cold, but everything in the room got hot. And we go to church and they pray over they pray over the offering. Usually they'd pick somebody, whoever one of the ushers, pastors would say, Brother Jones, would you pray over our offering? Brother John, would you pray over our offering? Remember those things? 
We'd pray over everything. People got sick. They didn't rush down to urgent care. They called middle of the night. Pastor, could you come? Why did we get rid of those things? What happened to us? Why did we file away all those old songs that you used to sing them and nobody had to give an altar call while you were singing? They just came. People would be at the altar and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit just by listening to the beautiful singing. All singing is not spiritual. Now, if you think that, you need to read what happened to Moses up on top of the mountain when God said, you better get down there. Those people have gone nuts. That's not exactly how God said it, but it was the same thing. <laughs> you better get down there. And, you're, and he called them his people. He said, Moses, your people. And they start down the mountain. And Joshua, he's young and experienced. He says, wow, sounds like there's a war going on down there. Moses made this statement. He said, it's not the sound of war that I hear. It's the sound of singing. They were singing, but it wasn't glorifying God. So all singing, you know, you can't, you can't bring some old, old filthy pornographic song out here that, that them guys that, that have tattooed themselves all up and got piercings all over their whole body and they sit down while they're smoking a little pot or, or starting a little cocaine and they, they get inspired to write the, this song that'll make the number one on the charts and, and they'll make a million dollars off of it and then they come out and sell it to Pentecostal. We just change the words up a little bit. You can't, listen, you can't put fine clothes, a long dress and, and beautiful hair and, and, and dress up a prostitute and her not be a prostitute. She's still a prostitute. Something's got to change on the inside. You can't dress sin up. You can't disguise sin. You can't put makeup on sin. You can't give sin a bath and think just because you cleaned it up a little bit, it's not sin no more. There's only one thing that will wash away sin. It's the blood of Calvary. It's the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If we're going to get rid of sin, we've got to have the blood flow from Calvary. So we started just taking stuff out and getting rid of stuff because, well, the visitors, they, they don't like it because they're used to something else. That's the problem. Don't you get that? Do you think people are coming here so they can hear the same thing they heard in the joint? No, they're looking for something fresh and new. Yeah, but... You know, sometimes, dear God, that brother Cordell, he does that little silly dance he's got. Not, he may do it this morning, and I brought a visitor. But you're okay if it's 10 below zero and there's a naked guy at the Packer game. You shout right along with him. See how, see how ridiculous we think? And in, in, in the human mind, it will play tricks. On, and the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. So we have to get it right. And God, I thought, showed me how to get it right. How do I do it, God? What can I do that will change me forever? And what can these people do that will change them forever? I, I was watching this morning while they were singing and up here on the, you can see the shadows of the people. You can't usually see the shadows in the building much, but the, the lighting was right. And I could see, in fact, I can see my own shadow down here now. If you look real careful, you can see my shadow. So, let me ask you a question. See your shadow sitting there? Can you see a shadow down there? 
See it? Get up. No, I didn't mean that like that. Would you please get up? Oh, absolutely. Good. Okay. <laughs> Guy this big, you don't want to offend him. See your shadow? Yep. Just walk right over here. Walk right over here. See your shadow? Mm-hmm. How it's passing over them? Mm-hmm. Look at that, how it's passing over them. Mm-hmm. I don't know it. Don't balk on me. <laughs> but what if, what if we just came right back here? What if you were going out the door one day and you just passed right past him and just patted him on the shoulder or something? You know, hello, how you doing? Good to see you, man. And it is good to see you, brother, and I'm happy for you. And little did you know that when you passed by him, the passing of your shadow killed every cancer cell in his body. Is that remarkable? So if I could give you Trump's money, anything you want in this world, the nicest homes, lake house, I'll give you the lake. Whatever you want. If I could give you anything you want, or I could give you none of it, but guarantee you that your shadow could pass over people and heal them, which would you take? You'd want the shadow, wouldn't you? Most everybody, thank you, brother, wants the shadow. And every time you come to this church, someone in here mentions revival. That's a common term in a Pentecostal church. Revival. We need revival. We pray. We need revival. I'm telling the truth, aren't I, Mike? We need revival. Well, I have this, poo, the light came on. Maybe instead of asking God for a revival, we should ask first how much it cost. Son, that'll bring quietness, won't it? Because there's a cost attached to everything. Oh, no, 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 it's free. No, it's not. No, it's not. There are certain things that God expects. So how much does revival cost? What does it cost to have that kind of relationship with God? How can I get there? You have to start somewhere. It doesn't just happen. Lady told me one night, she said, well, I wasn't praying, doing nothing. The Holy Ghost just snuck up on me. I said, how do you know? She said, well, I just felt it. It just snuck up on me. The Holy Ghost means the spirit of the departed one. It's the spirit of the resurrected Christ. It doesn't sneak up on people. It comes on purpose. And as a church, do you know that the gifts of the spirit are only promised to the church of Jesus Christ? He does not give the gifts of the spirit to the world. The bartender's not going to get them. And if you want to get them, you know, if, if, if you want Starbucks coffee, where do you have to go to get it? Starbucks or wherever they sell Starbucks coffee by permission. If you want the baptism of the Holy Ghost, if you want the gifts of the Spirit, if you want the fruit of the Spirit, it is imperative and essential that you go where the Spirit is being given. Amen. 
You mean I have to travel to that building? Absolutely not. But you have to make a spiritual journey in your own mind and in your own spirit that yields everything that's inside you to him and say, here I am, God. I am all yours. I have no argument, no ax to grind. I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to move out of the way. I'm right here right now. And at that moment, God will touch your life. I witnessed to my brother-in-law. He didn't go to church. He found out he was going to die. And we gave, me and David Bernard went and gave him a Bible study together. And he started asking questions. He didn't even know. He, he didn't even understand the term speaking in other tongues. And he says comes to our house one day and he tells my wife he had a big fine home he just built it and he was in there and I was talking with his wife and my wife was talking with her brother and she, he said you know he said something strange happened to me this week she said what he said well I've been you know Mike said I should pray and I could pray anywhere and he said I, I read a scripture that said you should pray in a closet and of course it doesn't mean you should have to go to the closet but that's fine so he said, I've been going to the closet every day and praying in the closet. And my wife said, that's good. That's really good talking to her brother. And I'm, you ever be talking to somebody else, but you're listening to what they're saying over yonder. That's called eavesdropping. I was listening to what he was telling her. And I didn't catch anything his wife said. And he said, while I was in there, he said, I was just praying like I do every day. And he said, all at once, he said, my mouth started moving. And he said, it, it was trembling. My, my lips were quivering. He said, it scared me. She said, well, what happened? He said, well, I tried to say something, you know, out loud, you know, just thank you, Jesus, or whatever. And he said, I, I spoke some gibberish. And he said, it was like I was talking in another language. He didn't even have no idea what this was. She said, what'd you do? He said, I just started doing it. So I'm in the other room. I'm in the other room and man. I went in there. I said, Herbie, you have any idea what just happened to you? He said, no, what? And I told him. I baptized him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He literally was responsible for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people coming to God, coming to the church. Folks, nobody, nobody has got a patent on God. Nobody owns God. Nobody owns the move of God. The move of God happens wherever God's people are or wherever a sinner confesses they're a sinner and says, God, I need a change of heart and a change of life and I need it right now. It can happen in a bar. It could happen at a drug party. It could happen in a house of prostitution. It'll happen wherever you allow it to happen. Brother Brown, if I can tell you how to do, get, make those things happen in the lives of every one of us, will you buy into my program? Now, you didn't have to sit down on your wallet. I'm not talking about money. <laughs> Absolutely. This was what I closed with in the service Father's Day. It's 25 till 12. In the Bible, 
they had to make sacrifice. Only the priests could offer a sacrifice. And in the other occasions, there were judges that could offer sacrifice. Gideon was one. Samuel was another. They could offer sacrifice. Eli was one. They offered sacrifices. People that offered sacrifices that weren't authorized were not accepted. That was unacceptable. So they could not do it. They offered the sacrifice, but it wasn't accepted. You see, there is a sacrifice. You can make a sacrifice. It doesn't mean God's going to accept it. Too many people have thought they made a sacrifice. It's kind of like that vision I had years ago. And sitting in New Life, Austin, it's a a big place. And I I, I just opened, I I had my head bowed and I looked up. And when I looked up, the church was kind of like this, the front. It was a a curved uh, deal like that. And I looked up and I saw stacked in front of that altar, I saw boxes stacked up nearly to the ceiling. Huge boxes. I mean, and all of them were gift wrap, had beautiful bows on them, all colors. They were gorgeous. And it was all the way across the whole altar area. And I thought, what in the world am I seeing here? And you know, it's one of them deals that I couldn't get rid of it. And the Lord, the Lord talked into my head and he said, these are the gifts that my people have brought because I told them in my word, if you have ought against your brother or your brother has ought against you, bring your gift to the altar, go make things right with your brother. Then come back and redeem your gift. And God said, these are the gifts that they've brought and never returned to redeem because they never went and made things right with their brothers. And now their gift that should have been used for eternal life has now become a stumbling block to the unbeliever. So when the priest would go to make his sacrifice, people would go up to the temple once a year and the priest would make that sacrifice. He'd sacrifice a cow, ox, and a bull. Or he'd sacrifice a goat, a ram. And he would take their sins and they did not get their sins forgiven In fact, in the 10th chapter of Hebrews, it says that it's impossible. It's impossible for a cow or a bull to work as a sacrifice for your sins. That the blood of an animal cannot atone for your sins. That was why Jesus came. He came to do a one-time sacrifice. He ended the sacrificial altars. The killing of the animals, that was done. The blood of Calvary fixed everything. And when we stump our toe, we don't have to go kill another animal. What we've got to do is kill ourselves. Not suicide. Paul said, I die every day. I die to sin. And so that old priest would get their sins rolled ahead for one year. That's what happened to them. Their sins got rolled ahead for a year. So they didn't go away. They got rolled ahead. That meant that the rest of the year, you always had to think about them sins. So you go back the next year, get them rolled up some more. You never could get out of them. That's amazing. In the New Testament, since we can't use the blood of the animals anymore, I used this last year. Then what sacrifice can I make that would be acceptable to God? What sacrifice can I give that would touch the heart of God And change me in a fashion I never imagined possible. Well, there is none. There is no animal. I don't care if you get the whitest cow you've ever seen. 
And when you made that sacrifice, you couldn't just say, oh, give me a rope. And just rope, first old thing, come along. You had to look that animal over. That priest would look it over. Them priests would get they'd look it over. It couldn't have a spot, couldn't have a wrinkle, couldn't have a blemish, couldn't have any defects. The sacrifice had to be pure and clean. And so Paul comes along and he says, I'm going to tell you what you do if you want to make a sacrifice. You present your body a living sacrifice. But he did not stop there. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's not anything special. But if you look at the Greek, it actually gives a deeper explanation of reasonable service. It meant that that was your spiritual act of worship. Let's stand together before we put somebody to sleep. Spiritual act of worship. So whether you do anything today or not is irrelevant to me. But if you're willing to present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, then God is willing to meet you. Now you cannot, so don't try. You can't, you can't pull the wool over God's eyes. You can't sneak past him. When you bring, when you bring the offering. Let, let me tell you what's involved in bringing this offering. This sacrifice. The elements that are involved in that. Number one, scripture said present your body. So there's a presenter everybody understand that? There's a presenter. Number two, there's a sacrifice. Number three, that sacrifice has to be holy. Number four, it has to be acceptable. And number five, it has to be an act of worship. And remember, Cain actually presented an unacceptable sacrifice. And look what it cost him. No spots, no wrinkles, no blemishes, no defects. You're the presenter. Every one of you have now become the presenter. You present your body. You, not me, not Kylie, you. You present your body a living sacrifice, holy. Why? God said, be holy because I'm holy. Holy and acceptable. It has to be acceptable. So where does the burden lie? The burden lies upon the presenter. Because the presenter is the one that has to get the sacrifice. And then he has to present the sacrifice. So it's entirely up to him to make sure that sacrifice has no wrinkles and no spots and no defects, no blemishes. How do I do that? Pentecost people are shouting people. Sometimes we shout and we drown out what we need to hear. I want you to hear me. Your sacrifice can only be acceptable if you've cleaned it up. You're the presenter. 
So when you present it, it has to be holy and acceptable. That means that you have to say, God, search my heart and know me. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way about me, God, and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, oh God. When I got home last year, I was so taken back with this that I didn't know what to do. I thought, how do I do this? And I decided, God, if Job could get up every morning without the Holy Spirit of God and sacrifice animals that took hours, perfect animals, every day of his life for 20 or 30 years because his kids were grown. If he could do that, surely, surely I could take the time to present my body a living sacrifice. We read over that scripture and we, we, we take it for granted that because we show up at church, we're making a sacrifice. That's not what he was talking about. Well, I, I put a big check in the offering. That's not what he was talking about. Paid my tithes. That's not what he was talking about. He's talking about presenting your body, your physical, mental, and spiritual body, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. And if you think God won't not accept your sacrifice if it's not under those conditions, you are sadly mistaken. And you're living in a world all of your own. We have not because we ask not, and when we ask, we ask amiss. Jesus said that. It's imperative that we get this right. We need to get it right right now in January of 2017 because we've got four years of religious liberty that are ours. But they're going to be of no value to you if you cannot get past today. Yes, if you can't get past today, then it's of no value to you. Whatever happens in the future, it doesn't matter. You're not going to impact it. If you can't get past today, then you are in the way. You have to get past today. How do I get past today? Present your body a living sacrifice. God... I don't care if you do it here this morning. If you think it over, go read it. Fact check me. You know, I, I tell you that all the time. I don't care. Fact check me. You're not going to find anything wrong with this. If you cannot present your body a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, you cannot be saved. The church of Jesus Christ is stuck in the book of Acts. We think it's a one-time experience. Oh, I, I repented, got baptized, and got the Holy Ghost, and, and boom, I'm in. Then say you don't believe in unconditional eternal security. No. The book of Acts is the starting place. All of those epistles, all of those letters, that's what we learn to live. That's where we learn to live. How we learn to live. How we conduct ourselves. And what to expect in the future. All of that means nothing if you can't get past today. You young guys over here, full of vinegar, got all kinds of plans. You might want to start thinking about some of this stuff because in the years to come, we will see, we will see the things that God has predicted in his book and told us what to look for. They will come to pass. We're not going to change that, but we can get ourselves in a state to where it doesn't matter what happens. We can handle it because he will be with us, but it takes this. 
the presentation of your individual personal body as a living sacrifice. You can't do it for her. She can't do it for you. You got to do it yourself. Every one of you, you got to do it yourself. And you're going to either do it today or you're going to do it here pretty soon. But the longer you wait, the further away it'll get from you. The less importance it will mean in your life. Not much happening right now. But Eastwood ain't much shaking right now. It's 10 minutes till noon. It's time to go eat. Packers are playing today. Kind of reminds me of that scripture in the Old Testament said, hey, harvest is over and summer's past and we are not saved. So you're the one who has to answer the question, not me. Can you look me right in my eye and tell me that you have presented your body a living sacrifice completely and totally, that you have searched your own heart and gotten rid of every little thing that's there, every little thing, all the hangups, and I'm still working on it, I can tell you. So I hadn't found the perfect guy yet. So I went home, Brother Kylie, and I want you, if, if you're one of those that says, I can do it today, I want to do it today, then I would invite you to come. And I would, it would be wonderful if everybody would do that. But just to come and, and get enough to where you can be like old Pharaoh was when he said, my God, get rid of these frogs. And Moses said, okay, I'll pray for her. I'll go pray to God and take away the frogs. He said, but will you do what you're supposed to do? He said, yes, if you just get rid of the frogs. He said, okay, I'll tell you what, God is going to give you the honor of determining when the frogs go away. When do you want them to go? He said, tomorrow, get rid of them. He said, they'll be gone tomorrow. Frogs were gone the next day, piled in heaps, frogs everywhere. But Pharaoh went back on his word. You know why? He got relief. In fact, the scripture actually says, if you read it, when he saw that he had relief, he changed his mind. We sometimes pray just to, till we get a little relief. Then we go back to what we were. Won't work. So I got home and told my wife, I said, you know, I got, I got to change something. I didn't know where to change it. I got this beautiful altar that a good friend of mine built for me, Ernie Morocco. He built me this beautiful altar that sits at the foot of my bed. I replaced my old one with that one. And I thought I should go to that altar. But I didn't even feel worthy enough to go to that altar. I mean, I felt like a piece of dirt because I knew what was really going on inside me. And I went to the bathroom one morning. I wasn't feeling well or whatever. And I went in the bathroom and I'm standing there in the bathroom. And I, I know this sounds probably a little, little bizarre, but I'm looking over at the toilet and I'm thinking, that's about the only place I'm worthy to deal. It's about the lowest place I can think of. And I walked over to the toilet. And the lid was down. I got a towel and put it on the floor so it wouldn't hurt my knees. And I knelt down on that wood floor. I bowed my head down on the toilet. And the first words that came out of my mouth was, I love you, Jesus. I love you. I don't know if I know anything else, God, but I know that I love you. It's kind of kind of like Job did when they, all them questions, they pummeled him with questions. He didn't know what the answers was. And finally, only thing that Job could answer in the whole book of Job, he said, I don't know anything else, but I know my Redeemer lives. So I said, I love you, Jesus. 
And so I didn't ask God to heal me or to give me more money or to give me this, that, or the other. I just said, God, look inside me. Please, if there's something there, God, help me. Help me to see it too. Let me know it's there so I can get rid of it because I want to get saved. And after I prayed, Will, for a little while, I was thinking how Job did the sacrifice for all of his children and I, I thought of my own children. By this time, the tears were running down my face and I was starting to see Mike East for what he really is and that's not much. And I was boohooing and asking God so many things I could remember and think of. God, what about this? Forgive me. God, I'm so sorry. I can do this, God. And I'm going to fix my future. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure... All my relationships are intact. I'm not going to let anything. I'm not going to have enemies, God. I'm not going to have friends that are mad. I'm going to get rid of all that, God. And I'm going to, I'm going to fix all this stuff. I'm going to do it, God. I can do it. Help me. While I was knelt there, I finally got the courage. It took me a long time to get the courage to say, God, this morning, first day, I feel like God, right now I'm clean. I feel like something's happened to me. I want to stay that way. And so God, if I, I'm presenting my body a living sacrifice. I, I mean, I was having this dialogue. I'm presenting my body a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. God, if it's not holy, if it's not acceptable, let's stop right now. You know, I actually had to stop a few times. When I finally reached a point where I could get through the whole thing, holy and acceptable to you, God. And one thing, Lord, don't ever let me think that I'm doing anything special. This is just reasonable. And it's an, it's an act of worship. And then, man, the tears really started flowing. And I said, on behalf of Diana and James and Cherry and Melanie and Leslie and Jasmine, and my wife Paula on behalf of them I present me on behalf of Chloe the things I love the people I love all of my grandchildren God on their behalf I present me please accept me today God Can I tell you that I started doing that every morning because I realized that's sufficient to the day is the evil thereof, that every day I'm going to wake up and face more of it. And God, the best way I could start out, I know prayers, good prayer meetings, so I'm not discounting that. But I had to have a personal thing that was just for me. And I'm going to tell you, each one of you, you have to have the same thing. This is something that every one of you have to have. I started getting up every morning. I stayed with the toilet too. So this morning at 6.30, I knelt by a hotel toilet and I said, God, I present my body a living sacrifice. It has changed me so much. I, I wish I could tell you how it's changed me. I see God differently. I see people differently. I see you all differently. I realize that all of us are products of mercy. Every one of us. Not a one of you came any way than down the trail of mercy. 
And if it weren't for the love of God and the goodness of God, wouldn't one of you be here? So how about today? And if not today, you better make an appointment and get this done. And you better do it every day of your life. You better do it every day of your life. You will see a change in your family. Since that time, I've baptized two of my children. I've seen other members of my family started going to church and trying to serve God. Some of them's going to be there today at home that never go. I'm not saying that I caused it. But I believe that our contributions can sure help. So it's time to go. I know I'm no fool. I preached for an hour. The game lasts longer than that. Nobody will leave the game. Present your body a living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable. Which is just your reasonable service. Her. Anybody else? Be serious. This is a serious moment. What a tremendous opportunity. What a great time. Present your body a living sacrifice. No one can make it for you. This is something you have to do yourself. You can't push it off on someone else. You have to do it yourself. Only you. God, help these people today, Lord. Help these people today to see the need. This is life-changing. Present your body a living sacrifice. And your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The house is what you make. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.